took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. The more that I have the privilege and opportunity of walking with the Lord and serving the Lord, I realize just how beautiful Christianity is because it's centered around Jesus. I've been thinking about that lately. Christianity is Christ. And we are to do this in remembrance of Him, in honor of Him. Not in remembrance, not in honor of a denomination, of a non-denominational church, of a movement, or of a person, except for Jesus. It's all centered around Him. As communion was being passed out and I was getting to serve the worship group and the communion board, I was just filled with joy and my thoughts were, I love these guys and gals. And what an honor and a privilege it is for me to serve with them. Really is an honor. And what an an honor it is for me to serve in this church among you. I truly love all of you. Really do with all my heart. It brings me joy to be able to serve. It's not a grind. It's just a blast. And yet, although it's wonderful to come together, we really celebrate Jesus tonight. He's the person. He's the person we celebrate. Christianity is Jesus. I guess I could say that over and over again, but it's so meaningful. It is not a movement. It is not Skip Heitzig. It is not a church in Albuquerque. It's Jesus. It's getting to know Him. That's why all of us have the same privilege, the same opportunity. And at the foot of the cross, we are the same distance to God. Sinners saved by grace. We're on the same level. God will just as readily listen to your prayers, your cries, as He would mine or anyone else's. He loves you. And we celebrate Him. And really, that's all that matters is that you truly know Jesus Christ. If you don't truly know Jesus Christ, you have no business taking these elements. Won't do you any good anyway. In fact, you're just drinking condemnation unto yourself, the Bible says. Because you're celebrating the elements that surround the person of Jesus. And if he's not your savior, it's really a mockery. But if you know Jesus, holding these elements shows the wonderful simplicity of Christianity. Isn't it great that being a Christian is so simple? You don't have to look a certain way, cut your hair a certain way, dress a certain way, say a certain... You just have to know Jesus. That's why all of us who are in ministry tonight have the responsibility as people come to us and ask our advice, our counsel, that we point them back to the Lord. Give them the guidelines, but point them back to Jesus so that there's never a dependency on us, but always on Him. I find that in the position I am in, just by virtue of the position, many people naturally want to become dependent upon that position. Pastor, spiritual leader, 
It's a privilege. It's an honor. But the Lord is my shepherd. And the Lord is your shepherd. And don't you settle for anything less when the Lord wants to guide you. I am always trying to wean people away from a dependence on me and onto a dependence on Jesus. And so communion shows me how simple it is. Jesus paid it all. I'm spelling this. All to Him I owe. All to Him I owe. Wow. What a simple truth. It's so simple, it's mind-boggling. You know, celebrating communion has become in many places such an or a ritual that I think has almost clouded the simplicity of the glory of God. It really has. Communion, I'm reminded of this. I'm a wretch apart from Jesus. But just by believing in Him to cleanse me of all my sins, I can have a relationship with Him. That blows my mind. Let's get back to Him person of Jesus. Let's pray and take communion. Lord, it costs you a tremendous price to have us as your kids. It costs you everything. Your only begotten Son. Yet for us it's free. Lord, we center our attention upon Jesus tonight. You said to do this in remembrance of you, of Jesus. Lord, I pray that none of us would touch your glory. Those of us who are up here as visible leaders of this church, we humble ourselves before you, knowing that we're called to wash feet, serve thank you Father that your blood shed once for all is able to wipe every stain every sin that we've committed and they are many thank you for your mercy we use a lot of it up thank you for your unmerited favor We stand in awe. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was preparing his his gang, his crew, for the most exciting and yet turbulent time of their life. Jesus said, it is expedient. It is for your good that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And when Jesus spent time on earth coaching his disciples, he modeled the Christian life for them. And he modeled servanthood to them. He modeled effective Christian witness to them. He had compassion on the multitude. He touched the people who were sick. He taught the multitudes, the crowds, the people who came to him. And all that Jesus did upon the earth in his ministry, although we look back to that with a degree of nostalgia, don't we? Thinking, oh, if, if, if I could have just lived at the time of Jesus, how exciting that would be. 
And yet that was only the beginning, Luke tells us. Because as Luke refers back to his epistle or his gospel, he said it was only the beginning. He said all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the time that he was taken up. The ministry of Jesus upon the earth was preparatory for the continuation of the work of Jesus throughout history. Now Jesus from the throne, from the right hand of the throne in heaven, continues to do his work through ordinary people like you and me. We discovered that last week. In verse 4 of Acts 1, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. One of Jesus' instructions after his resurrection was to go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel to every living creature. He gave them a commission to go and spread what they learned. But then he says, wait, don't go. One hand he says, go. On the other hand, he says, wait. Now, what is he telling them on one hand saying, go, and the other hand saying, wait? Well, he says, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. In other words, since he told them about the Holy Spirit who was coming, he says, now I want you to go and preach the gospel, but don't you dare set foot out your front door until you've received the power of the Holy Spirit to do the job I've called you to do. There's a saying of Jesus that always goes through my mind. It seems daily. And as it goes through my mind, I evaluate on how much I really believe this saying of Jesus. Without me, you can do nothing. Oh, come on, Lord. There's a few things I can do without you. When it comes to lasting results, a spiritual work, if you want to have an Isaac rather than an Ishmael, without him you can do nothing. On the other hand, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go and preach the gospel. I've got a task for you to do. But don't you dare try it on your own. You'll fall flat on your face. So wait for the promise of the Father. I've been telling you about him. I told you that he'll be your helper, your comforter, your counselor, your guide. You need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to get anything done. Wait for the promise of my Father. In John's Gospel, Jesus told us just what the Holy Spirit would do. He tells us who He is, and then He says what He would do. 
He said the Holy Spirit, first of all, would be with us. Then he says the Holy Spirit would be in us. And then finally here in Acts, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit was with all of us even before you asked the Lord to be your Savior. When you were tooling around out in the world rebelling against God, it was the Holy Spirit who would come along through the witness of a friend, through listening to a radio show, through a tract or whatever who would tap on your heart and say, you're blowing it. You need something more. Life is more meaningful than what you've already experienced. There's got to be something more. You need a Savior. He was with you doing the work of convincing you that you were apart from God, that you didn't believe in Him. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convince the world of sin because they believe not on Me. The moment you said, Lord Jesus, save me, the Holy Spirit wasn't only with you, He was then in you. He resides in you. You as His church are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would live in you. And then here in the verses that I just read, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. A whole different relationship, and you see it in the book of Acts. The work of the Holy Spirit in you is to conform you into the image of Jesus. Do you know that that's God's goal for your life? God is committed to a process. We call it sanctification. It's a long word, but it's an important one. It means that God is committed to honing your life taking the junk out, infusing His principles within you, and making you conformed to the character of Jesus Christ. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It comes by an abiding relationship with Him. The fruit of the Spirit, the best definition, is simply the character of Jesus Christ produced in a follower of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of Christ. That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's His work in you. Also, the Holy Spirit comes upon your life to give you a dynamic to represent Him. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus told the disciples to wait, but you and I don't have to wait. In some circles of the church, there are meetings known as tarrying meetings. Because the early church tarried, they waited until the Lord would fill them with the Spirit, they feel like they must tarry. And so you'll find groups of people who wait to press in. And they'll be there for hours, crying and begging with, you know, their hands are numb because they've been lifted up for such a long time. Only to find that they've been tarrying in the wrong place. Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem. My point is, is that Jesus told them to wait. You and I don't have to wait. The Holy Spirit has already been given. All you have to do is ask and believe by faith. And He'll give it to you. You don't have to wait for some experience. You don't, you know, you don't come up and, and Lord, please fill me with your Spirit. Baptize me in your Spirit. 
only to have someone say, well, the Lord didn't answer your prayer tonight. Come back next week. What would you say if a, if you heard somebody crying out to the Lord, Lord Jesus, save me, please save me, please save me. It kept going on and on. You'd say, hey, man. All you have to do is trust the Lord. Believe. He'll save you. So it is with the Spirit. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? That's God's desire for your life. You don't have to attain any degree of holiness to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. You've perhaps heard testimonies of people. I prayed to be filled with the Spirit, but it didn't work. I tried and I tried, and it was only when I finally gave up my cigarette smoking, when the Lord answered my prayer and filled me with the Spirit. Or, I prayed and I prayed and it didn't work until I finally resigned myself to go off to China as a missionary. Then he filled me with his spirit. You don't have to attain any degree of holiness to be filled with his spirit. That's obvious. The Corinthian church were filled with the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. They were carnal. Paul said, you come behind in no spiritual gift, but I couldn't write to you as spiritual people, but babies in Christ. Remember, Paul said to the Corinthians, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, brother. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There are certain people who really object to the term the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They don't like it. Rubs them wrong. And they usually quote Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body, one hope of your calling, one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. And Corinthians, which says, by one spirit you've all been baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks. And so they say, when you get saved, you ask the Lord into your heart. At salvation, he baptizes you in the body of Christ. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's all. And yet here Jesus speaks of two baptisms. Baptism of repentance. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of us are confused with semantic terms. Just semantics. I don't care what you call it. You can make up your own term for it if you want. But there is an empowering that takes place or that should take place in the life of every single believer. That's more than just, Lord, save me. See, baptism in the scripture means to immerse, to put under. And it's used more than just water baptism or baptism into the body of Christ. Jesus spoke of his death as a baptism. He said to the two disciples who wanted to have the thrones in the kingdom on the right and the left, he said, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Speaking of his death. In the Gospel of John, interesting thing takes place at one of the feasts. 
It's the Feast of Booths. It's around October, the month that we just left. It's the time of the year that the Jewish people gather in Jerusalem and they build these booths out of twigs and leaves. And in the old days, they would actually live in them for a week. Today, they just kind of hang out for a few minutes and go back in the house. It's very convenient. But the Feast of Booths, they would go outside as a reminder of the time that their forefathers were in the wilderness and even though they were outside under the stars that God provided for them. Then they would have temple sacrifices, beautiful singing every single day of the feast. What they would do is they would gather in the court of the Gentiles, that huge court, the temple complex in Jerusalem. The priest would form a procession down to the lower city, to the Pool of Siloam, and get a big bucket of water, and they'd carry it up to the Temple Mount, and they would spill it before the altar, and the water would run everywhere. And the priests and the Levitical choir would sing, you can, you have drawn water from the well of salvation out of the book of Isaiah. With joy you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation. And everybody would shout, it would be a great celebration. The last day of the feast was even more spectacular. Everybody packed into that outer temple court. And as they were there, the priest would twice make the trip from the pool of Siloam up to the temple altar and pour out the water and the people would sing, With joy you shall draw water from the well of salvation. The second time that they did that, when the emotion was at its peak, Jesus was in the temple, and the Bible says he cried out. He didn't say or speak. He cried out. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For out of his heart will gush torrents of living water. Boy, he got everybody's attention. Just when the water was being poured out on the temple compound, They were celebrating the fact that God quenched the thirst of their forefathers by bringing water from the rock. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his own heart will gush torrents of living water. Then there's a footnote given by John, but this he spoke of his Holy Spirit, which was not yet given. I'm convinced that the Lord does not want the Holy Spirit to be a nice boxed, categorized, theological compartment within us. But something that gushes out of our life. Our life becomes a refreshment to other people. And the question in this regard is, first, are you a Christian? And second of all, are you a torrent of living water? Do you, by your life, exude the life of Christ as it gush forth from your life? The book of Acts is filled with gushings on every page. And if you can answer no to that question, then you have a further work of the Spirit to do in your life. The Lord does. Been baptized in repentance, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know what happened in the early church. In Acts chapter 8, in Acts chapter 18, there's a couple instances where The disciples come into a place. They meet a bunch of people who know the Lord. They've been baptized, a baptism of repentance. But listen to what Paul says in one of the chapters as he comes to a place that has already received the gospel. I'll just read it to you. Acts 
First of all, it says, let me just give you some background. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then it says, It happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, We haven't heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, Indeed, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. Now listen to this statement again by Jesus. We'll apply it. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. God had a task for these guys to do. Now think of the task. Twelve fishermen are told to go out and tell the world the gospel. Now even we, with all of our telecommunications and sophistication, find that almost an impossible task. Today, And I think that's because we're so concerned about church life, organization, our own little world. And Christianity becomes so shallow. Jesus said, you 12 guys, I'm going to fill you with the Spirit and send you out into the world. I want you to tell every living creature about me. A Christian leader once said that Christianity in America is 3,000 miles wide and a half an inch deep meaning it's shallow. And look at the effectiveness compared to the early church. When it comes to really getting the gospel out in a worldwide, worldwide capacity. The Lord wants to fill your life with His Spirit and thrust you out into this world and make a real difference. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I'm really sorry that there has been a wrong concept that the purpose of the Holy Spirit's baptism is to cause you to speak in tongues. Couldn't be the furthest from the truth. There is a gift of tongues. It's a beautiful gift. God gives it to His people. It's an operation today. But because of the wrong emphasis and the overemphasis, many people in the church have seen the abuses of it and there's been a backlash against that gift. They go, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. Because they've seen the abuses. The purpose of the baptism of the Spirit is to give you power and me power to go out and be a witness. That's what the purpose is. Give you boldness. 
toughest time I had in my early Christian walk was witnessing. I would clam up. I wasn't like Jesse who picked up hitchhikers in the middle of anywhere. I mean, I was really concerned that if I say something, people are going to think I'm weird. I was just really concerned that they would think that I'm weird. It really liberated me when a good friend said, you are weird, don't worry about it. (laughs) And I remember working at Art Adams Chevron Station, pumping gas. There was a guy who was my manager who was a real worldly character. And he always made fun of the gospel, always made fun of everyone. He was really good at at that, an intimidating kind of a guy. And I wanted to witness to him. And I would try, and I'd try, and I'd try, and I'd open my mouth, and I'd I'd say, uh, his name, by the way, was Angus McIntosh. And I decided I'd witness to him one day, and I saw him at the gas pump. I said, Angus? And he goes, yeah. And right when I wanted to share the gospel with him, I just clammed up and I said, "Uh, what time is it? (laughs) One afternoon, closed my bedroom door and I just wept. God, I want to share. I want to be able to represent you before this character. How do I do it? What's the key? And I read Acts 1. And I read this passage. You shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. And I thought, okay, that's it. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Infuse me, baptize me, empower me. Get me out there to be a witness. And you know what? It worked. I didn't feel like Superman. In fact, I was still a little bit scared when I started sharing the gospel with people. But as soon as I stepped out in faith, took a hold of the promise of God, I began to walk in power. Scriptures came to my mind. A real power, joy, and zeal came over me. And I started seeing what it meant to have the the life of Christ gushing forth from you. And I've never been content with less ever since. And you should never be content with anything short of the full work that God wants to do in your life. Read the testimonies of Dwight O. Moody, R.A. Torrey, Finney. These men who relied solely upon the Spirit of God for effectiveness and work. They were not content with the mundane day-after-day existence on this planet. They wanted to be used of God. Wherever they were. Just wherever they were. And it was by the power of the Holy Spirit within them. You are witnesses, all of you. You all, if if you are Christians, are witnesses of God. Somehow you tell people a message of Jesus. Now it's either a good message or a bad message. You're either a good witness or a bad witness. Witnessing isn't something you do, it's something you are. We have gotten witnessing confused that you knock on somebody's door and pass out four spiritual law tracts. And some people just are scared to death of knocking on somebody's door and giving them a tract. I don't personally like that way of evangelism. Some people are into it. Other people try it. It doesn't work. They're uncomfortable with it. They, therefore, they conclude, I'm not called to witness. A witness is something you are, not just by your words, but by your lifestyle. But all of you are called witnesses of the Lord, and He will give you the power through His Holy Spirit. 
Remember Peter before Acts? He came to Jesus and he said, Lord, though I'll forsake you, I'll die. You can count on me, Lord. I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said, Peter, you're going to blow it. You're going to deny me. Peter got all upset at the Lord for even thinking such a thing of such a wonderful, devoted person as Peter. The test came when he was in the courtyard of Caiaphas' house. And a servant girl said, didn't you hang around with that Jesus character? And he in all boldness said, no. I don't even know him. And he began to swear and deny the Lord. One little servant girl intimidated this burly old fisherman. Then you read the book of Acts. And Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, looked upon a crowd of thousands of people and gave a great gospel message. And you read before and after and you think, is this the same character? No, it's not. This is Peter on his own commitment, his own fuel, his own commitment and dedication. And this is Peter filled with the Spirit. World of difference. Difference results. 5,000 people came forward that day. Peter filled with the Spirit. What about the disciples before? They locked themselves in an upper room for fear of the Jews. In the book of Acts, they're running around Jerusalem proclaiming boldly the Gospel. The Lord's desire is to use you. And He has sent you out into the world. But the church has had enough people going out on their own strength, figuring out their own programs, sitting down with all the demographics and how to work things out and watching it flop. You boil everything down just like the simplicity of communion is knowing Jesus. The simplicity of serving the Lord is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the testimony of a group of missionaries in 1908 who went to Manchuria, China. They wrote home. Here's a letter. A power has come into the church that we cannot control even if we wanted to. It is a miracle for stolid, self-righteous John Chinaman to go out of his way to confess to sins that no torture of the Yamen could force from him. For a Chinaman to demean himself, to crave, weeping, the prayers of his fellow believers is beyond all human explanation. Perhaps you will say it's a sort of religious hysteria. So did some of us. But here we are, about 60 Scottish and Irish Presbyterians who have seen it, all shades of temperament, and much as many of us shrank from it at first, every one of us has seen and heard what we have every day last week, is certain that there's only one explanation. That is God's Holy Spirit manifesting Himself. One clause of the creed that we say over and over again, that lives before us now in all its inevitable, awful solemnity, is I believe in the Holy Ghost. I want to read one more thing to you that I picked out. R.A. Torrey. 
wrote about an experience that he had after speaking at a conference on the Holy Spirit. And he said, I shall not soon forget a minister whom I met some years ago at a state convention of young people's society of a Christian endeavor at New Britain, Connecticut. I was speaking upon the subject of the personal work and I drew attention to a close. I said, in order to do effective personal work for the Lord, we must be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in a very few sentences explained what I meant at that. At the close of that address, this minister came to me on the platform and said, I do not have this blessing that you've been speaking about, but I want it. Will you pray for me? I said, hey, why not pray right now? I said, I will. We put two chairs side by side, turned our backs upon the crowd as they passed out of the armory. He prayed and I prayed that he might be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then we separated. Some weeks after, one who had witnessed the scene came to me at a convention in Washington and told me how this minister had gone back to his church as a changed man. And now his congregation filled the church and that it was largely composed of young men and there were conversions at every service. Some years after, this minister was called to another field of service. His most spiritually minded friends advised him not to go, as all of the ruling elements in the church to which he had been called were against aggressive evangelistic work. But for some reason or other, he felt it was the call of God, and he accepted it. In six months, there were 69 conversions, and 38 of them were the businessmen of the town. What a change. I am not content with anything but the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. Before we close tonight, the men of the church are up here to pray for any of you that desire to receive the baptism of the Spirit. In the Scripture, it manifests itself in different ways. Sometimes it accompanied the speaking of tongues and prophesying. At other times, it accompanied the preaching of the gospel with great boldness, as in Acts chapter 4. There's not one way that it happened. But if you ask the Lord for it, He'll do it. If you want His boldness, His power, to be an adequate representative of the kingdom of God in power like you've never known it, then you need to be filled with the Spirit.